0: It's Palm Sunday, April 5th, 2020, and we're glad you're here to worship with us through this online service. If you haven't already checked out the homepage of our website, there at the top you'll see a little tab called Resources, and there you'll find all sorts of ways to connect or maybe stay connected with the people here at Bethany. One thing in particular you're going to find there is a new resources that we've added just for this week. It's a devotional centered on Holy Week, and it's going to help you think carefully about this extremely important season in the history of the world. As always, we want to encourage you to continue to support the ministry of Bethany through your online giving or mailing in of checks or setting up your bank account so that it sends stuff our way Um, even though the buildings are closed, the ministry continues and we're hearing new reports every day of how the Lord is working mightily through his people. Thank you for your continued support. Now let's gather together. Let's pray for what the Lord is going to do through this time as we look into his word and as we praise him with hearts that are surrendered and sincerely thankful for the work That Christ accomplished. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would bless it. We pray, Lord, that we would be blessed through it, that even though we're separate at this time, we pray, Lord, that you would build us up as your people, your church. Lord, that you would prepare us for the work that you have for us to do this week. We don't know what form that's going to take, but we trust, God, that you want to use us this week in the lives of people around us. Lord, we also pray that our worship would be acceptable to you, that it would be uh, straight from our hearts and you would see that it is sincere, that we are truly thankful for the incredible work of Jesus Christ on the cross and how he has brought us back to you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time that we have. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's worship together. One, two.
1: sing, you will rain. Heaven's mercy, see, sing worthy again. And is and is to come with all creation. I sing praise to the King of. Say, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness. Watch and pray, find in me. Praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, plead. Jesus died my soul to save, and my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he
0: Amen. It was known as the Brig Pilgrim. It stood there. In the water, in Dana Point Harbor, owned by the Ocean Institute since 1981, it served as a tool to educate uh, children of all different ages what life was like on the high seas. It was a special ship, beautiful, massive, 180 tons. It was a very uh, surreal thing to walk the deck of that ship and imagine yourself rolling on the high seas. I loved also just sailing quietly beside it in, a, in, a, in my kayak and looking up and seeing this majestic ship just sitting there hovering in the water. It was beautiful. Last Sunday, it sank. Last Sunday, uh, as I heard the news, I, I couldn't help but feel a little bit of a sense of sorrow inside. I'm sure a lot of, a lot of others felt it as, as well. This, this ship had had been part of our, our experience, our, our history. It was something that we loved to look at, loved to enjoy. It, it was a beautiful thing. And now it lies there, listing part way above the surface, sails off kilter. It's in ruin. There's something tragic about that. And yet, as tragic as it is to, uh, to, to hear of a, of a sinking ship, There's tragedy going on all around us, isn't there? There's ruin that people are experiencing on a life-altering scale. Some people are losing their jobs. Other people that still have jobs, well, they're trying to figure out how to keep their jobs, working from home and watching their children at the same time. There are high school students who aren't able to finish out their senior year. Businesses are on the verge of collapse. Stress levels are soaring. Child abuse we hear is on the rise. That is tragic. Every day I'm hearing more and more sirens go past our backyard. Relationships are strained. Food is scarce. Sanity feels like it's teetering on edge. Toilet paper is almost impossible to find. People are sick. Thousands of people are sick. Thousands are mourning the loss of loved ones. Ruin is everywhere. Ruin is pervasive. As we drive the the empty freeways, we get this eerie feeling as if we're walking through the rubble of of burned out homes. How are you doing? How are you doing in the midst of it? How How do you respond to ruin? There are several different ways that people respond. Some people respond with fear. With anxiety, with depression, with discouragement. How are we going to get through this? How are we going to overcome this? All seems to be lost. I heard this morning, just this morning, of a German financial minister that took his own life. Why? Because he said he, he didn't know how we could possibly recover from this financially, how he was going to help the world recover financially. That's one way to respond to ruin. Another way is to respond with just irresponsibility. Since everything seems to be falling apart and nothing seems to matter, nothing I can do can make any difference, we just throw everything out and just give up. And we throw caution to the wind and just do whatever we feel like doing and we make terrible, rash decisions. A third way to respond to ruin is a way that I actually like it's the good old-fashioned American way it's the way that says you know what so what yeah we're down we're not out we're not defeated we're not destroyed you know what we'll rebuild we will overcome si se puede yes we can in fact not only are we going to come back but we're going to be stronger we're going to be wiser we're going to be better than we ever were before. I like that attitude, don't you? It's the attitude that, that I try to keep saying to myself, don't worry, we'll be back. It's the attitude that I'd, I wanted to hear when I heard of the sinking of the brig pilgrim. Yeah, don't worry, she's sinking, but she'll sail again. We're gonna work on it, we're gonna fix it. It's the attitude I encourage my, my oldest daughter to have when her little sister gets into her room and just makes a wreck of everything. It's a sense you get. When you stand there at the base of the Freedom Tower in New York City and you just go, wow. Yeah, you can bring us down, but we will rise again. That's good, isn't it? There's something really good about that. There's, There's hope in that. And yet there's something wrong with that. If that's the only response that we have to ruin, there's, there's something actually missing. We can't leave it there. We're, we're, if that's the only way we respond, we're, we're missing out on something. In fact, not only are we missing out, but we're, we should be pitied far above those who throw caution to the wind and far above those who just throw up their hands and say it's over and want to end it all. And that's because if that's the only attitude that we have to ruin, if it's the only way we respond, then we fail to hear the cries of the toppled stones, of the cooling embers, of the empty bank accounts, of the flat-lined electrocardiogram. The ruin that we experience in life, it cries out. It shouts a message that the world needs to hear. It beckons for us to pay attention, that we heed its warning, that we respond to its call. Let me show you what I mean. We're in Luke chapter 19. We're going to read on from verse 28 a bit. Would you read along with me in your, on your tablets, on your phones, or Bibles in hand? Let's read this. Luke 19, 28. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus and his disciples, they were traveling. They were traveling from north to south, From Galilee to Jerusalem. On their way, they passed through a city called Jericho. It was a city that was once known for its great, mighty walls. But they had long ago come crumbling down. And it was there that Jesus and his disciples, they witnessed in it a transformation. This incredible transformation. A transformation that is less likely than the possibility of a camel going through the tiny eye of a needle. What happened was a rich, corrupt, money-loving tax collector, he vowed to give half of all he owned to the poor. And not only give half of all he owned, but to pay back all the money that he had stolen and pay it back with interest. You see, Zacchaeus came to see the futility, the worthlessness of riches in the blinding light of the brilliant, all-surpassing treasure that was Jesus Christ himself. He realized that building a kingdom here on earth, a kingdom that could be taken away or that would fade or that could burn up, wear out, or be destroyed, that doesn't compare to the earthly kingdom that God was building. After that episode, Jesus told his disciples a parable, a parable that that told of things coming in the future. He would be leaving his disciples. He would be leaving them to assume his rightful place on his heavenly throne. But while he was away, he wanted them to know that they had a job to do. He was entrusting them to continue the work that he began and to continue it while he was away. And once he returned, then he would take an account of what everyone did and hold them accountable. While they were busy doing their work, There would be another work that would be done, though. That would be the work of those who were Christ's enemies, and they would be spreading evil all over the place. And he said that he would hold them accountable as well. As they traveled to Jerusalem, Jesus was reminding his disciples again and again and again that his kingdom was not just an earthly kingdom. It wasn't about making Jerusalem great again. It wasn't about building up an army. It wasn't about erecting monuments. It wasn't about forming impenetrable stone walls. His kingdom wasn't a local kingdom. It was a a global kingdom and a universal kingdom. It's one whose value measured infinitely more than all the gold in all of existence and whose significance and rule was greater, infinitely greater than any earthly kingdom. It was a kingdom that had already taken root in many of their hearts, but it was a kingdom that would also see its full realization in the future. You know, as clearly as he communicated it, his followers, they were just struggling to see past their own personal desire for a kingdom here and now for the Messiah, the Savior, to take the throne now and lead them to throw off the shackles of their Roman oppressors. That's what they wanted. That's what they longed for. Luke 19.11 tells us they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. I'd be celebrating too, wouldn't you? I'm sure they were thinking, wouldn't it be great wouldn't it be great if Jesus turned things around? Wouldn't it be awesome if He could put an end to all of our suffering? Wouldn't it be amazing if He could get rid of all the cheating, all the stealing, all the abusing, all the fighting that we see in our world? I'm so ready for Him to bring tax reform. I'm so ready for him to bring some sort of stimulus package to help us get out of this lowly state we find ourselves in. I can't wait for someone to get in here and fix this system, this broken system, increase my quality of life. I'm so tired of Israel being the underdog. I just can't wait for Jesus to take the throne and bring us back to our former glory maybe you've had similar thoughts run through your head maybe you've thought wouldn't it be great if we could just step outside the house without fear wouldn't it be great if we knew that we were going to come through all of this pandemic stuff and we're going to come out okay in fact not only okay but we're going to come out eco- economically sound wouldn't it be great if we weren't spending every waking moment trying to, trying to keep our kids from tearing this whole house apart while we try to work from home? We all feel pain and dissatisfaction with the way things are, don't we? We're all longing for a better, a brighter day. And that's not such a bad thing, is it? As they were nearing the great city, just coming to the small villages of Beth Fadge, and Bethany, Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead. They were to fetch a colt. It's very possible he sent them to the home of someone that they already knew. Maybe it was Mary and Martha's house. We don't know. If anyone asked them, why are, you, why are you taking this colt? They were just simply to say, The Lord needs it. The Lord there doesn't refer to Yahweh, it just refers to, to Master. And the relationship, highlighting the relationship between master and servant. Jesus was the master of his followers. And if he asked for something, well, it was up to his followers to provide it. There weren't any issues here. They retrieved the colt, brought it to Jesus, laid their coats on its back, and then he sat on it. All set up, they began to make their way down that hill that's known as the Mount of Olives. And that's when it happened. Spontaneously. The followers of Jesus, they begin tossing their cloaks in the road. They begin to shout joyously, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. This was a, this was a celebration. This was, this was a parade. This was a processional. This was the culmination of long-awaited, agonizingly anticipated hopes, dreams, Prayers finally realized and now bursting forth in unrestrainable praise. Everyone knew what Jesus, riding on a colt headed for the holy city, meant. It meant that he was now publicly, unashamedly declaring himself to be the long awaited Messiah, the Savior. The words of Zechariah must have just been pulsating in their brains. I, I Zechariah 9 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Our king, he's finally here. He's arrived. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. The songs they they were singing, you know, they weren't all that unlike the songs that the angels sang to those lowly shepherds announcing Jesus' birth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Matthew's gospel tells us the people were, they were actually cutting down branches of trees and laying them in the road. Matthew 21.9, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What a ruckus this was. What a thing it must have been to be caught up in this wailing and chanting and joy explosion. Explosion of a crowd. But not everyone was happy about this. Not only were Jesus' followers in the know as to what this all meant, Jesus' opponents were wise to it as well. The Pharisees, those ultra pious religious, religious elites, they saw the spectacle and they were not pleased. They immediately raised their voices in protest and they said, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. Their voices must have been laced with, with uh, disgust and appall. This was a situation unbecoming of any responsible religious teacher. Surely he must see that these people believe him to be the Messiah. He must understand that he has no choice but to put a swift end to this horrific display. Anything else would just be blasphemy. He can't possibly believe that he actually is the Messiah, can he? What about the temple? What about our high priest? What about our law? What about our traditions? What about our systems? We've already got a pretty good kingdom set up here. And you know what? We are perfectly capable of recognizing and verifying the individual we determine that is God's chosen one to sit on the throne. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Clearly, they don't understand. Clearly, they've misplaced their loyalties. Clearly, these hicks are so uneducated and filled with ignorance that they don't have a clue as to where their trust, where their hope should be do you know where your hope is found do you know what you're trusting in looking to hoping in it's easy to get caught up in the hype isn't it and when everything is looking up and people are excited about this or that maybe it's an investment opportunity or it's some miracle facial cream or some new pill or some new book new show new policy new procedure even a new politician When those things happen, our curiosity is roused. Maybe we see some signs of promise in them, and we're tempted to jump on board. It's also easy to be a skeptic. Very easy to be a skeptic, isn't it? That's the way I tend to go. To mock and ridicule others who jump on the bandwagon, who lose themselves among the hype of the crowd. Maybe you're one of those who see right through the fads, the trends, the gimmicks. You're a realist, a cynic, a questioner. But could it be that you're not all that different from those in the crowd? They're just looking to things outside of themselves for hope. Well, you and I base our reliance on what's inside of ourselves and who who we are, our wisdom our experience, maybe our discernment. Whether your hope is on the inside or the outside of yourself, the real question for us all is, can you rely on that hope? Is it sure? Is it steady? Is it trustworthy? The Pharisees demanded, teacher, rebuke your disciples. These people are just dumb common folk, Jesus. Help them see that they've got it all wrong. Make them understand that you are not their savior. And that's when Jesus replies, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, what's Jesus talking about here? What are these stones he's talking about? Are they the stones that were just scattered there along the road? Is he suggesting that inanimate, lifeless objects are somehow going to grow tongues and start speaking like some rock monster in a child's fantasy? We can only speculate here, but I think that as we read on, we actually, we actually have good reason to believe that he may have been talking about some other stones. Maybe he was referring to the massive stones which formed the walls of the temple that Herod built. Perhaps they're the stones of the the great walls of Jerusalem. Maybe he was pointing to the very things that people passed by each and every day. The things that symbolize strength and stability or significance. The things that kingdoms were built upon. Could it be that those stones were the ones that Jesus was speaking about? If so, how would they speak? And what would they say? Let's look at what happened next. Verse 41 tells us that Jesus was approaching the city, and as he was approaching the city, he began to weep. He's filled with sorrow. And here's the reason why. He says, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, and surround you and hen you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus weeps because the people of the city were lost. They were lost. Their hope was in the wrong place, in the wrong things. They were looking for a kingdom, a kingdom built of stone walls and iron swords. They thought that if the right leader rose to power, then he could restore their nation to greatness, free them from their oppressors, and bring lasting peace. The heart of Jesus, it broke for these people because their hope was misplaced. The things that made for true peace, they were hidden from their eyes. And the things that they were trusting in, those things would soon be leveled to the ground. In fact, the day was coming only about 40 years from that day when the enemies would rise up and they would lay siege to the holy city and they would bring it to its knees. Jesus said they will not leave one stone upon another. The city would soon experience ruin." Of monumental proportions ruins are never silent they may not uh, make a sound but they are never silent when Melissa and I walked the ruins of Pompeii it was one it was peaceful it was incredible it was beautiful birds were chirping cool breeze lightly passing over the sun-soaked countryside and yet the ruins were far From silent. They told a tale of a city that once flourished, a city that had bustling commerce. They told of family life. They told of prosperity, of laughter, of hope. And they also told of devastating tragedy. They told a tale of weakness. They told of searing heat that encapsulated bodies and turned them to stone. Ruins are not silent. They are not silent. And whether or not Jesus was referring to the stones that made up the city of Jerusalem or just the ones on the road there, the ruins of the city, 40 years from then, would speak volumes. The stones would lie on the ground in silent declaration of hope misplaced just like the city of jericho was a testimony to the fact that no walls should ever give that sense of absolute assurance the walls of jerusalem mighty as they were they wouldn't protect forever psalm thirty-three sixteen says the king is not saved by his great army a warrior is not delivered by his great strength The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. The Pharisees wanted to shut the people up. The people who were singing songs of praise and declaring Jesus to be the king. The people didn't understand what it meant for Jesus to be king, but at least they were looking in the right direction. The stones would cry out, The ruin of Jerusalem, that would declare to the world that hope in fortresses made of stone or anything other than God himself, well, those are false hopes. And the same is true for the ruin we're experiencing in our world today. advanced as our technology may be, as informed and evolved as we believe ourselves to be, or as powerful as our military forces may be, as solid as our investments are, or as low as our cholesterol or or body mass index may be, or as intelligent as our minds may be, they aren't infallible and they aren't impenetrable. And when the holes are found, and the cracks widen, and the pieces fall to the ground, that's when they too cry. Don't hope in us. There must be another great hope. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? All other sources of safety and security are mere shadows of the one true hope, the true solid rock. David wrote in Psalm 62, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my my mighty rock, my refuge is God trust in him at all times O people pour out your heart before him god is a refuge for us my friends that sure and steady rock that unfailing hope and rescue from god is none other than jesus christ himself it was the one riding into the city humbly on the back of a donkey Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus himself is the only unfailing hope. He's the only thing that made for true lasting peace see the fact of the matter is that no fortress no stronghold no vaccine no mutual fund no essential oil offers the peace that human hearts need there's no breathing exercise there's no chemical compound there's no process of positive thinking that can soothe and satisfy the human soul because our souls are restless and will never find the rest that they need and long for apart from God himself. The Bible tells us that in ancient times, when the world was new, humanity turned its back on his creator. The worst mistake ever made in human history. Humanity struck out on its own. It went its own way. It found itself in pursuit of self-satisfaction. And Not only was that an impossible quest, but that quest would actually harm us. It would leave our emotions numb, our hearts hard, our souls perpetually thirsty. It would leave us enemies of ourselves, ultimately, and enemies of each other, and enemies of God. It would make us objects of God's holy anger and fully deserving of punishment from him romans 1 8 says that god's anger burns hot against rebellious humankind for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth how could our weapons of war defend against that Will we ever devise a wall, a vaccine, a shield that can protect us from the force of the almighty, powerful creator of all things? How could the strongest defenses ever bring the peace that you and I need? They they can't. Jesus wept for people whose hopes were misplaced, he wept for those who, whose trust was in stone walls and strong governments. He wept for those who didn't, didn't even know what their biggest problem was. And just like Israel's biggest problem wasn't Roman rule, our biggest problem, you know, it's not a vaccine. Our, our, it's not a virus. It's not an economic recession our biggest problem is an age. It's not that all elusive bathroom tissue. It's the state of our relationship with our creator. That's it. It's the peace that we need and the peace that we are totally unable to get on our own. When our lives lie in shambles, And the things that our best hopes were in, they lie in ruin. We need to listen to their cries. They cried, Don't trust in us. Don't trust in us. Trust in Christ, who God, in his great love, sent to bring you peace. Ephesians 2 tells us, For he himself, that is Jesus, is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He took your guilt and my guilt upon himself and there on a cross he paid for every single one of our sins which had been separating ourselves from each other, which had been hurting us from the inside out, which had severed our relationship with God. And he did that so that it might be done away with, that it might be torn down, that it might be restored, that our relationship with God might be restored. This is the only true kind of peace that matters. And that's because the, the reality is that nations here on earth, they're going to rise and they're going to fall. But the kingdom that Christ came to build, that's an eternal kingdom. It's one that, that's ruled, never ends. It's one that knows no boundaries. You and I might experience some seasons of peace and prosperity here on earth, but they don't last, do they? Nothing lasts. They're just... Temporary shadows of the real peace that we need. Jesus is the one for whom the fallen stones testify. He's the one defense that will never fail. He is the stronghold that the enemy will never penetrate. He's the only safety precaution that that no pandemic can thwart. He's the only solution to the lasting peace that you and I need. All other hopes fail, but not Jesus. Hebrews six nineteen says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. In the midst of a world in crisis, in the midst of financial hardship, Elevated stress, anxiety, fear, discouragement, depression, death, in the midst of ruin all around us. How do you respond? Maybe you've hoped at one time or another in earthly success. Maybe in promotions or medical advances or new diets or new studies or new, new, uh, new ways to find personal happiness. Maybe maybe your hope has been in passing milestones and, and making accomplishments. If I could just get past this one or that one, if I could just get out of high school or get out of that apartment or into that new relationship or, or get that new job or past the terrible twos with my kids or or past my kids even being in the house or if I can just get enough money in my 401k so that I can retire. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there, but you're coming to the point where you're wondering if these things are as promising as you once thought. That's not by chance. God is calling you through the wreckage He's calling you through the ruin in your life and he's calling you to himself. What will your response be? Listen to the cries of ruin. We mentioned Zacchaeus earlier. Here's a man who lived for wealth. He lived for it. He loved it. He did everything he could to get more and more of it. Even if it meant inflating taxes, cheating people. Yet when Jesus came to town, he realized something he saw jesus down below him because he had climbed up in a tree and he realized that jesus is the real wealth the money that he had held on to so tightly it was just a shadow of the value of jesus this was the pearl of great price for 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 which he needed to give up everything that he had And it's a good thing he did because Jesus made it clear that Zacchaeus was trusting in his wealth. Zacchaeus was lost. Blessed are those who realize the futility of hoping in anything other than Christ, especially when they get there before those things turn to ruin. Where's your hope? Are you beginning to see the futility of all things that promise fulfillment or security or significance? Could it be that God is allowing this season of distress of fear of suffering to reveal to you that your hope has been misplaced? My friends, don't miss hope. Don't miss the only sure hope that comes that comes more clearly into light in a time of distress. As the foundations of our society are shaken and the ruins are more apparent all around us, they testify to the fact that they were never, ever deserving of our absolute trust. Let's not miss out on the one true hope and eternal source of security. His name is Jesus. We thought that we were safe from attack, and then 9-11 happened. We thought that we were financially secure, and then the crash of 2008 We thought that we had mastery over health and fitness. Maybe one day we'll even get rid of aging and maybe death altogether. Some thought, look at the ruin that we find ourselves in. If you've not placed your trust in Christ, it's time to do that right now. Tomorrow may be too late, but right now you can have peace with God and know that your eternal home in heaven is secure Confess that you're a sinner deserving of God's anger and punishment. Thank him for sending Jesus who took the guilt of your sin upon himself at the cross and he died for it there. And thank him that Christ, thank God that Christ paid for your sin in full, that he rose from the dead, proving that his mission was accomplished and that he is just Alive and well, just like you can be if your trust is in Him, and that through Him your relationship with Christ and God can be restored. Don't miss hope. Don't misplace your hope. Don't fail to hear the cries of the stones of the ruin that cries out. For those of us who have placed our trust in Christ already, are we clinging to that hope? In the midst of the ruin that's all around us, are we walking confidently in the peace that we know we have if we've placed our trust in Christ's eternal kingdom? In the midst of ruin, may Colossians 3.1 be continually running through our minds. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God and when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory and then Hebrews 10 23 let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful There's a response to ruin that is so much more important than just vowing a comeback. It's the response to the silent cries that we hear. It's the response that looks to heaven and to the cross of Christ and declares, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand let's pray Lord we thank you it is a difficult thing to do Lord but I thank you for the ruin that you allow in our lives ruin that shows us that our hope is misplaced if we've looked to anything else other than you it's ruin that says this is the result of your sin. It's ruin that says I could have never given you what you need. What you need is in God. Thank you, Lord, for pointing us to who you are. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for this week. Thank you for the humble servant, the king who rode into the holy city on the back of a donkey. And who wept for that city Lord his tears are revealing of your great love for us and why you sent Christ in the first place you sent him because you love us because you saw our sorry state and you wanted to bring us back to yourself thank you for Jesus Lord thank you for the work that he did on the cross thank you that because of him our hope is sure and steady it is a solid anchor planted firmly And we will never be shaken if our trust is in him. We love you. Carry us through this time, Lord. Remind us of the hope that we have in you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.